Hey, what's going on, good people? It's Gardner Douglas, your Oyster Ninja. I'm here with Miss Beth Walton, and she is here representing the 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 Oysters South. Is in the house. That's my DJ voice. I like it. Hey, Gardner, <laughs> having me on. Yeah, no problem, Beth. Uh, what is oysters? The oyster community without oyster South. Well, you know, I mean, we're just so lucky to have so many oyster fans and just people like anybody who's into oysters. If you're a farmer, a consumer, a shucker, wholesaler, artist, student, like you name it, you know, no matter what you do. Um, we're a 501c3, a charitable organization, and we have members all the way, well, all over the place, actually, but our main sort of territory is North Carolina, south to Florida, and then west to Texas. So it's a pretty... It's a pretty wide region. So, you know, we feel really lucky to have the ability to kind of connect two of the three coasts with everybody that we're involved with. So we are huge fans of all things oyster. Nice, nice. And I see the dog loves oysters also. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> dog, the cat. Yeah, we're, we're streaming live from my front porch office here. So. Right, right. That's Zoom life. So uh, just tell us, how, how did Oyster South get started? Like, where did this crazy idea come from? I know. It's like, what are you people doing? So, I mean, we try to, you know, we have a bunch of things going on. But, like, one of the things we wanted to achieve was to try to, you know, serve the industry. And so, like any good story, you know, our story starts at a bar. And, of course, it's an oyster bar. Um, and some of your listeners may have already heard of uh, it's a place called Kimball House in Atlanta, actually Decatur, Georgia. And the team there, you know, they've featured for a while um, back about five, six years ago, you know, East Coast, West Coast oysters. And then with the rise of oyster farming in the Gulf of Mexico, it was like, well, shoot, what's going on in the Gulf and what's going on in the South Atlantic? And let's try to feature some more of those. So it's not just the two coasts but it's really the Southeast and really, you know, a lot of the South as well. So in addition to the farmers, it was like, well, shoot, we've got these chefs, we've got some extension agents and Sea Grant people and, you know, people more on the education side, trying to get farmers trained and up and running and then trying to do consumer education. And we thought, gosh, you know, there's all these kind of intersections that make logical sense but we need somebody who's crazy enough to kind of steer the bus. So I was like, yeah, sure. You know, I'll do that. <laughs> so we're really trying to just educate the consumers as well, but also try to give back through our charitable events um, to um, help fund the oyster farming community, do some travel, like to visit other oyster farms and other parts of the country and the world. So, I mean, hopefully when things calm down, you know, we can get back to that. Um, and also information exchange through email and Zoom calls like this with our farmers. Um, you know, and we try to do fundraisers too, to really try to raise the funds, to try to do scholarship programs and make an immediate and positive impact for those folks. Okay, so I think I kind of get it. So you guys have the organization where you basically link everybody else in together. Yes, that's right. We're kind of like a I don't want to say a hub, you know what I mean? But it's like, hey, you know, to have that network of people all the way from, you know, North Carolina to Texas, it's like, wow, that's a whole lot of people. So exactly, we just try to link everybody up. So who are like some of your, um, I guess, who is your most northern um, 
uh, contributor or like, how, so who do you, what do you call like somebody that's part of your, your crew, your team? Right. So, I mean, we have like on the one side, we have like our, you know, our board of directors and then we have like the science advisors, our marine advisory folks that, that are representatives from the various sea grant programs in each of the states. So, I mean, you know, I could call like the Belcher brothers up in Cape Hatteras in North Carolina, you know, up there. And then Texas, they just started, you know, they don't have anybody in the water yet, but they just have their laws passed, so they're getting ready. But like Mississippi, I can call on the French Hermit Oyster folks there. And they've been going for a couple of years. So most of our members, Gardner, like, I would say probably the last five years, the majority of people started growing their crops. So it's still relatively new. So that's nice. super exciting. So um, what's crazy is, and this is kind of off topic of oyster stuff, but I guess it has to do because it has to do with oysters. I had somebody come up and uh, hit me up in my in my in my DM. You know, that's uh, I don't know, direct message. Messaging. Uh, <laughs> all the top. I just have to say, oyster ninja, oyster social media ninja for sure. <laughs> and they uh, they were talking how somebody had introduced them to me or, you know, through me, or they was, you know, I guess trying to get oysters. So I re I was like, okay, all right, cool. So you want oysters. Um, but it was like, oh, but you know, we're old timey and we don't do the R month or, you know, we don't eat oysters till the R month. And, and to myself, I'm just thinking like, how can this still be possible? Yeah. Yeah. No, a lot of people still think about that, you know, or, or, you know, I guess believe that you can't, it's one of the most common things, right? Like you should not eat oysters in the R months. And so that's directly related to refrigeration. That's what we always say to people, like how many R's in refrigeration people, you know? So back in the day before that, um, you know, and you know this from your experience, of course, like you probably a good practice back before things were set up, probably to avoid them when it's super duper hot. But nowadays, with all the rules and regulations and, you know, advances in refrigeration, unless you have some kind of, you know, pre-existing health conditions, you're immunocompromised, like that kind of thing, you probably shouldn't eat a raw anything, you know. Um, so just go ahead and cook them. But as far as the vast majority of people who don't have those pre-existing conditions, you can enjoy them year-round um, because of refrigeration. And also because of, um, there's things called triploid oysters, which a lot of folks get those confused with genetically modified, like that, those are two separate issues, two different things. So the most common example that we use for folks is like, hey, have you ever had a seedless watermelon? <laughs> you know, most people have. So these oysters are designed to just grow in the summer months. So they're not putting any of their energy into producing eggs or anything, they're just growing. So you can enjoy them. We just tell people it's year round. So we're lucky, you know, we're spoiled for sure. So what is the genetic modified? So like, you know, this is not like my expertise, but you know, genetically modified would be like taking basically like the genetic material from two totally different things and putting them together. And then, you know, you have something else, but with the triplet oysters, you are working with the same creature. So you're not kind of, you know, commingling species, I guess is the best way to put it. So, you know, they, the triplet oysters, they just grow really fast and they grow a lot. So you get a nice meaty oyster, even when it's super duper hot. 
you know, the other thing with the summer months, I just want to throw in there is that um, most oysters, you know, they're going to spawn, like depending on if you're northern or more southern, like they spawn at different times and typically in the summer months. So they're perfectly edible. But if you've ever seen them after they spawn, I want to say it's like, you know, three quarters of their body mass. That's like, you know, get spawned out. So they look pretty sad. <laughs> you know, we call them water bellies. So it's like, you can eat that, but it's, you know, probably going to have a very different taste. So lots of folks just kind of wait until later in the season when it gets a little cooler and then they kind of plump back up, you know, but again, you know, with the farm raised stuff, I mean, depending on if you're growing the diploids, the ones that do that naturally, or if you're just doing the triploids that aren't going to spawn, you know, you have that flexibility. Cool. So what are some, like, what's been some other uh, misconceptions that you've heard, like some of the, you know, larger ones? Yeah, you know, that's a that's another really good question. I think, you know, because we represent so much of the South and Southeast, I think a lot of people here are like, oh, whoa, like Southern oysters, that must be, you know, the bigger, larger sizes. And now with all the different types of, you know, equipment, baskets, bags, all the floating gear, um, just the sharing of information from the farmers on the West and East Coast and really kind of trying things out down in the South and Southeast, people are producing, I mean, you know, oysters that can compete with East Coast, West Coast. I mean, you want them on your plate. And so they, they appear now as those, you know, really uniform, you know, nice, like three inch or under really deep cup. So, you know, the Southern farmers have the same kind of tweaks they have to do to their farm that others do. It's just a much longer, I would say longer growing season. Like here down like where we are located in coastal Alabama and also off the coast of Georgia I mean you don't have to worry about ice right so I mean you just kind of have that little bit of a, a you know extended growing season here nice so what's going on I don't know I don't even know if you know I didn't even have, ask you about this uh, before we started but what's going on with like the Apalachicola I, I read somewhere where they're closing down um, uh, wild harvesting I guess you know anything about that you know, I mean, you see that not just in Apalachicola, but in other places. I mean, and that's one of the things like when farm-raised oysters started, like the natural resource of, you know, like the oyster reefs over the years has kind of been going down. Uh, so the, you know, the numbers, just the sheer numbers have been decreasing over time. But with oyster farming, you know, people who are typically working on the water, used to being out on the water and harvesting the oysters, they're kind of, you know, like, hey, this might be an option for me to kind of get in there and do something to keep me on the water with my family. Just another career option. Um, it's certainly not for everybody, just like harvesting oysters isn't for everybody, but you know, it gives folks another, you know, way to kind of keep making a living on the water if they so choose to. So we'd like to say, you know, it's not trying to replace the natural population of oysters or push anybody out of that way of life or that industry. I mean. Really, we support right water, good water quality jobs, and you want a good, healthy resource, whether it's farming oysters or harvesting them. So I feel like you know they can they can coexist. There's room for both for sure. Nice, great answer, Beth. Thanks, Gardner. <laughs> You've done this before. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, but it, you know, it's true. I mean, that really is one of those things. You know, we've gone to meetings or if had conversations like, oh, you know, it's like two different things. It's like, well, wait, no, wait, just like you know, hit the pause button and like, in the end, you kind of realize like, truly, like we have more in common than we don't. You know, it's like the good water quality, the good resource, 
and you want people to have more oysters. So it's like, hey, let's agree on that and like try to figure out ways to complement each other. So it's been really fun because, you know, you have this um, amazing amount of knowledge that the wild oyster harvesters have, you know, and they know the area, they know the water quality. So that translates really well. Like if you're getting into it as a new oyster farmer, right? You want to know. Just like with a garden on land, right? You're like, boy, that rain, like right there, probably don't want to put it there. So it's that same kind of knowledge that we really try to, you know, use and really try to promote to people that we're really kind of all in this together. Um, so are wild harvesters part of Oyster South also? You know, we have one guy up in North Carolina who is, you know, he's a supporter, he's a member, but he's like, you know, I am still a fisherman, but you know, I support what y'all do. So you're kind of seeing some of that, you know, I would say the vast majority of our members are farmers, but we do have a few people who are still out there fishing. And also, you know, there are people who are farmers that aren't doing it full time. Many people are doing it part time and they're still out there harvesting, you know, like their mullet or they're out there doing their blue crabs. And then they're also doing the farming on the side. So there's lots of different ways to do it. How was it in the beginning trying to get um, oyster farmers and people in the industry joining Oyster South? Like, they, did they get it? Like, Oyster South, I don't, like, what do, we, what do you want me to do? Like, how was it? Exactly. You know, that's a really good question. You know, because the first year, I think it was like 2016, 2017, you know, we were like, hey, we should probably try to, you know, get some people together, see if they'll show up, like, you know, maybe have some presentations. And I wore like my first iteration Oyster South shirt today. You know, I was like, yeah, let's do some t-shirts. And we're like, right, like anytime you do something new, like with a podcast, right? You're like, is anybody going to listen? Or is anybody going to subscribe? I'm like, there could be nobody showing up, you know? So the idea was if we could get the industry behind this idea, then kind of the consumer part of it would follow because you have that street cred, you know, you got like the farmers, you got people like, yeah, we support this because if you're just trying to reach out to oyster fans and you've got nobody on the industry side, right, that supports it, like that, that's just not going to work. And I mean, we had the first year for our, um, we have an annual symposium too, and we kind of alternate that between the East Coast and the Gulf of Mexico. We had a, like about 100 people. You know, then the next year it was like, add another 100. Then this year it was like 300. So I was like, all right, I guess this is working. So it's really been kind of, you know, I don't want to, I mean, it's work, but I don't feel like we're trying to sell anything. You know, it's like really the spirit of community. Like, hey, we're all trying to be positive and uplifting and support each other, no matter how you fit in here. Like, how can we work together? Because collectively, we're just better off that way, you know? So it's been really nice to kind of tap into just the best knowledge and kindness of people. It's super exciting for me. You know, it makes things easy. So um, I've, I've been watching some of your uh, YouTube videos and and a couple that have, uh, and if anybody wants to check it out, it's Oyster South on YouTube. Uh, so I've been checking it out and um, I think one that stood out for me was, um, oh man, shoot, um, Two Girls, One Shot. Oh yeah, 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 that, well, from yes. yeah, that video was like, like jumped out to me, you know, as a creator. Yeah, you know, we have so many talented people, right? Like, they could be one thing, you know, like, hey, I shuck oysters, you know? I mean, like, you are a multi-talented person, too. Like, you're doing the podcast, you're shucking the oysters, you're doing the catering, you're doing the education. Like, you're doing it all, you know? So, I mean, we have people that, hey, you know, I'm 
I'm a this, but I also do this and this. So it's really a great way to showcase, you know, everybody's different talents and how that touches the oyster world. And we're trying to inspire the next generation too, you know, because you have this really new and nascent industry and you need people who are able to know what it means to work on a farm. Like it's not all like, oh, you know, like drink right, like drinking champagne and eating oysters. It's a ton of work farming oysters or if you're you know, trying to sell them, like however you fit in. Like we, we want to be positive and encourage people, but we also want to, you know, make people understand like the, all the hard work and the reality into it. So, you know, that's a lot of fun for us too. It's kind of mentoring people along, especially some of the students too. You know, I mean, that's great. We have a lot of graduate student involvement doing applied research projects. So it's not just science for the sake of just doing science. It's like, okay, you know, we got an oyster farmer somewhere, they've got a problem, like, let's put a smart person on this and let's work it out together. So that's really cool to see those partnerships evolve as well. No doubt, no doubt. So um, what did I wanted to hit? Oh, um, so what else um, do you guys talk about, like, uh, with the, um, when you guys come together, I forget. Am I, am I? Um... It's okay, it's a symposium. You're gonna have to come, you're gonna have to come and we have our next one, you know? So we have our annual, like our industry symposium and then we do an annual fundraiser. So one is usually in the fall um, and then one is usually in the spring. So when we do our symposium in the spring, I mean, we have all sorts of topics, you know, when we come together, you know, ranging from like the applied research projects to ideas for, you know, ways to improve stuff on your farm, like creative jury rigging, um, you know, grant opportunities. And we have a trade show too, where people can kind of see the different gear that may or may not work for their farm. So it's really a lot of FaceTime for our members. And of course, you know, we eat and drink a lot. <laughs> I mean, a lot of eating, you know, I'm just gonna say, you know? Right, right. Food. We have a lot of the hospitality people there too. Um, you know, and then for our fundraiser, I mean, we just try to do that every October. Um, we usually do it in Decatur, Georgia, but this year we're probably not going to be able to do it in person. So we're kind of, you know, switching up how we do it and doing um, like a to-go party box, like bring the party to the people. So we're going to try that this time around, and hopefully, you know, hopefully we'll get we'll get some support that way as well. So we came here uh, to kind of talk about uh, Oyster Day, also, right? Oh, you know it. Tomorrow, <laughs> yeah, right. National Oyster Day tomorrow, which I gotta say, it is also my birthday. But I did not, you know, did not plan that. So it's gonna be, it's really fun every year. People ask me like, "Did you plan that?" I'm like, "No, I did not plan that at all." Like, I don't know why they decided August 5th, but I'm gonna run with it. So it's a lot of fun. So I will definitely be eating oysters too, and I'm sure you will be as well. Probably so on the grill. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I know. I want to know, like, what's your favorite way? I'm going to ask you, like, what's your favorite way? You like them on the hop or you like them on the grill? Um, definitely on the grill. Uh, I could, uh, you know, uh, I went to um, the uh, South Carolina Oyster Festival. I don't, it was like at some, um, where was it? Some plantation or something. Oh, okay. Nice. Um, yeah. But nice. They, they did like the, the, the original, you know, oyster and bull roast with the sacks and oysters. Love that. Yeah, you and yes. Oh my gosh, man. Those oysters were so good. Um, but yeah, I love, you know, um grilled oysters like you know, butter, parmesan cheese, old bay cheese, anything with cheese, I'm with it anyway. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, and that's, you can't go wrong with that, you know, and like, we always try to tell people too, like before you put the cheese on, you know, it's like, try it, try it. If you can, if you want to try a raw one, right? Like just try it as it is. So you know what it tastes like. And then, you know, add your stuff onto it later, you know, or definitely throw it on the grill. It's always delicious like that. So, you know, there's, there's an oyster for everyone, right? Like we talked about, everybody has their own favorite oyster. <laughs> exactly. So how can, how do you think the common consumer can get those oysters tomorrow and, and, you know, support the oyster farmers? Yeah, that's a really good question. And thanks for asking that. Yeah, you know, um, and I just want to, I'm going to do a shout out for, for you too. I mean, just thank you for all you do, you know, for promoting the positivity and getting the word out. I mean, it's really a huge help. So thank you. Um, you know, we just encourage people, no matter what state you're in, you know, you can visit oystersouth.com. I would also recommend checking out, there's lots of other great bloggers like Julie Chu and a half shell. She has a list. I know you have stuff on your website and on the podcast too. We have so many farmers nationwide, just go to their website and you usually have, you know, if they're set up for shipping, you can just order direct from them or you can just holler at them on Instagram and they can tell you how to do that. Um, a lot of restaurants are offering some type of oyster dish, whether it's, you know, takeout, or curbside for tomorrow. So just check it out, like wherever you are. Um, we're really just trying to help promote the idea of supporting local. So thanks for that, Gardner. That's awesome. For sure. So what's your favorite way to eat an oyster? <laughs> right? I mean, seriously, I'm equal opportunity. I love just eating them on the half, right? And just tasting it. And then maybe just like a little bit of lemon or I'm partial to mignonette, I got to say, you know, sometimes I'll just be drinking that stuff straight. <laughs> it's so good. Um, but a good grilled oyster, you can't beat that. I'm telling you, it's the best. So I did say anything with cheese, but I also meant to say anything with garlic. Oh, yeah. Garlic is one of those things. It's like all purpose. You know, you can just use it for anything. No, it's great. And that, you know, the oyster roast, like you were saying, you can't beat that because it's somewhere, I feel like that's right, like somewhere between a raw and a cooked oyster. Like it's like barely done. So you still kind of got to stuck it a little bit yourself. Exactly. And then you got those hot juices burning your hands up and all kinds of things. <laughs> Super fun. Oh, no, it's awesome. So I was trying to get us a, a guest, a guest um, appearance on here, but I guess... Uh, I guess he couldn't make it. Um, oh, that's all right. You know, yeah. maybe another time. Exactly. Um, so what else did we miss? Did we cover everything? Gosh, you know, I mean, I think there's always so much to talk about with oysters. Like we could probably talk for days, you know. So are you, what are you guys doing as um, far as like this year uh, since we got the whole COVID thing? Like you guys aren't doing a, a symposium now, right? No, you know, I mean, we're planning, like, we're planning that for, like, next February, March, April. Like, we're just trying to gauge, you know. I mean, you, know how it is. you can't really plan anything. So we're trying to just see, like, are people comfortable coming to an in-person thing or not? You know, and if they're not, then, okay, how do we do a virtual thing? But, you know, like I was saying before, I mean, just as far as our big fundraiser that we do, I mean, we just can't do it in person in October. Like, the timing's just not right. So, I mean, one way to support our nonprofit is to order one of our party boxes. We'll probably have the details up sometime in September, okay. you know, on the information and what's going to be in there and all that good stuff. But in the meantime, we really are just trying to get the word out to support your local farmer, you know, wherever you are. And I mean, you can mail order this stuff too, you know, and just whatever restaurant is your favorite seafood or oyster place, give them a holler. 
and just see what they're offering and just go from there because people are really struggling. You know, I mean, it's a fact. I mean, of course, you know, it's the health side, but then it's, you know, trying to balance like getting people back to work. It's tough, you know, it's tough for everybody. So what are you doing for uh, National Oyster Day? Oh, just eating oysters, you know. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Eat some oysters, do the birthday oyster celebration, you know. Right, sure. yeah. Just go outside somewhere, get some like champagne or something and have like a cool dozen or so. So, you know, you just never know what's going to be on the menu. So I just kind of see, you know, wherever we go, see what they've got and then just support and just order some. So how about y'all? Um, you, you for oh, shit. Oops, oops, I cut the wrong person off. <laughs> uh, let me, hold on one second. Yeah. And the perfect segue to National Oyster Day and eating oysters and grilling and uh, uh, frying and everything else that has to do with oysters. So we just had the man, Tommy Waller, you may not know the name, but you know the oyster bed. Tommy, can you hear me? That's right. I sure can. Can you hear me, Gardner? I can hear you, guy. Um, so did you get one of those oyster beds handy, man? I did. Yeah, I grabbed a couple of them uh, just so I could show the audience there. I don't know. Uh, so I mean, cer certainly they can go online, uh, but I'm happy to. I'm happy to talk about it. Tell us a little bit about the oyster bed, man, because even if they haven't seen my videos, my posts, anything else with the oyster bed, man, I love the oyster bed. It's a great idea and concept behind it. And I was telling Beth, I don't have an oyster bed handy, but I do got my old school oyster plate. There you go. No, that, yeah. And that's, uh, those, those old school, school oyster plates are really one of the things that my brother should be credited uh, with the design. That's one of the things that he looked at uh, after the idea came about. And so, uh, you know, th the story of how that idea came about is, uh, is relevant. Um, in fact, here momentarily, we're going to go have a family gathering uh, that's much like the one that inspired um, this creation, the oyster bed. So, so every time that I would deploy uh, overseas as a Marine, the whole family would get together and we would get a bunch of different seafood. And of course, one of the things would be oysters. And traditionally we, we would get like a sack or a box of, uh, of raw oysters and we would shuck them. And, uh, and then we would be cooking some of them. And, you know, I, I, I can shuck oysters. Okay. So I'm not that good at it. And uh, I certainly wasn't that good at it uh, back in 2011 when this idea first came about. And as the oldest of seven kids, my brother Adam is, is second line of two of us. Couldn't keep up shucking uh, these oysters for so many hungry mouths to feed. And so in a, you know, in one of these, these settings where our whole family was together, um, our mom actually is the one that challenged us. You know, we, we were trying to figure out it, it, for the ones that we were going to cook, couldn't we just use like pre-shucked oysters? You know, you can, in, at least in South Louisiana and a lot of places you can buy, as you know, Gardner, uh, oysters already shucked uh, in the quarter of the gallon. And we just kind of figured for those that we're going to cook, why, why can't we just use a pre-shucked oyster? And, uh, and so, you know, we thought about it. Maybe we could use a muffin tin. People have done that before. And, uh, excuse me, <coughs> excuse me. Sorry about that. Bless you, man. You haven't been out of the country lately. Have you? Edit that out. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so we, we couldn't, we couldn't 
seem to get it right with a muffin tin. And, and uh, our mom actually challenged us. You know, she said the inventor of the, the redneck wine glass, which at, at the time I didn't even know what it was. She went on to explain this is a, a, a you know, like a, a, a mason jar on top of a candlestick, if you can imagine that, right? So that's the redneck wine glass. The lady is a millionaire. And she said, uh, you know, when are you guys going to invent something? And it was really during that setting uh, that this idea came about for us to invent a piece of cookware uh, that could uh, that could be used um, to cook pre-shocked oysters. That's originally what the idea was. And so, um, you know, we, I was headed off on deployment, uh, as I had mentioned. Uh, my brother was back. I was gone for about a year. And he took those same, like you just, you just showed us that, uh, that oyster plate, um, just gorgeous oyster plates from a hundred years ago where, where people used to, for whatever reason, raw oysters, they would, they would shuck it and put it on a nice, you know, pretty plate. Um, and so he took some of those ideas as inspiration to design what really has a pretty unique utility. And, uh, and that is that uh, we conceptualize this thought that you could take just the right amount of fluid. And I'll show you, I'm, I'm holding one here. This is, this is actually called the Stella. And uh, Beth has quite a story about that name. Um, but if you imagine that this channel holds just the right amount of fluid, 15 milliliters, and then the rest of it can drain off into a common reservoir. And so that oyster meat, it, uh, it doesn't get too soggy. It doesn't get too dry. And then if you wanted to combine it with a bunch of other flavors here in, in that reservoir, you just get this incredible uh, juice that, of course, everybody fights over with, uh, with their French brim. And so, um, yeah, it, it, it was an idea. Is, is it really all it was? Uh, but we were we were blessed um, to have the ability to turn it into reality, and it's been with with Beth's help that we've turned it from reality into a company that's actually got quite a following. That's wonderful, man. So I, I did a little research on you, guy. All right. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank <laughs> you for your service, man. Because you know everybody yeah. doesn't appreciate that. I appreciate it. Of course, you know I was a veteran also. It. Yeah. A thank veteran. you for your service. Thank yeah. you, man. Absolutely. Um, so first of all, how is this eco-friendly? Because I was reading this eco-friendly. Yep, yep. So uh, as, as you guys uh, were talking earlier, I think it, uh, in, in the podcast about the need to understand uh, the oyster industry, we, we recognize that need from day one, right? So we're, we, we like to eat oysters. We're a couple of South Louisiana guys. We like fishing. We, we like the coast. <laughs> but we didn't really understand the industry. So what we did is once we had the idea, even before we – told anybody about it. We started to attend uh, meetings of the Louisiana Oyster Task Force. And we started to listen to the different uh, oyster fishermen, the conservationists, um, people from the wildlife and fisheries. And as we researched just the topic of the oyster industry, we started to learn about uh, one huge problem, at least in South Louisiana, uh, being coastal erosion. And then it wasn't just the erosion that began to concern us. I, you know, I started to read about, and I'm sure, Gardner, you know a lot about it because you're in closer proximity, like the Chesapeake Bay, for example, and how 100 years ago you could see 40, 50, 60 feet down. It's just clear. And how uh, just the, the billions of oysters that populated that, that estuary, how once they were removed and the waters were polluted, how the 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 ecosystem suffered drastically. These are things that we started to learn, right? And so we, we wanted to have a cookware, but it wasn't just about cookware. Um, in fact, I, I'll never forget, uh, I was listening to an audio book written by uh, Dave Ramsey. 
I don't know if you know Dave Ramsey, financial management guru. Um, yeah, what is it? Rice and beans, beans and rice. <laughs> you know, he, he wrote a book called Entre Leadership. And for those that want to be an entrepreneur and you've never read it, it's great. It, but he talked about something called starting with why. And then he, he discussed a video, and, and I don't know, Gardner, if you've seen this before, but a guy named Simon Sinek uh, did a, a TEDx presentation about starting with why, about what he called the golden circle. So um, every company does something, that's the what. Imagine, you know, three circles, concentric circles. The outside is the what, and then they do it somehow, and then on the very inside, it's why. And he said that the companies that understood why they do what they do and can connect to the customer are the most successful. So it really made us think like, well, why, what's the why of this company, which we haven't even, we just, we formed an LLC. We had a design patent that we had filed. We hadn't told anybody about it because we couldn't, but we were trying to figure out what, what's the purpose. And it was as we did that research about the coastal, you know, estuaries and the erosion and, and how oysters can help that we decided that that would be really like the second part of the three, really the three big things that make up the why uh, of our company uh, is, is to help with, with coastal erosion and restore our, our coastal estuaries. So it's, it seems like your why has paid off because you got the Golf Guardian Award in 2019, sir? Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. Last year, um, we were blessed to be to be recognized for that, um, and uh, and for even for anybody to think about submitting us uh, for it, you know. And uh, so, um, it it was something that was it allowed us to have a, a just another platform to talk about the problems of uh, not just erosion but just our estuaries in general. And really, I think you know we try to use the company and the cookware as a platform. So, how does the cookware help? You know, so if, if we're using this to eat pre-shucked oysters, and, and let me just say, for me at least, raw oysters on the half shell are my favorite. Bar none, I mean, just that's the way to eat them, right? Shuck it right there, fresh, eat it. That's my favorite, okay? If I'm going to cook them, I don't necessarily want to have to shuck them, right? And so I can buy them pre-shucked and I can cook them in this. Most of the time, when you're buying pre-shucked oysters from uh, an oyster uh, shucker, you know, P&J's in New Orleans is a great example. They are the oldest oyster house in the country. They put those shells on refrigeration and they, you know, once or twice a week, they have a truck, a refrigerated truck, brings it right back down to the, to the coastline uh, to the same farmers. So when they pick up their oysters, uh, they are dropping off the shells and those shells are cured in the sun and then they're used to form new reefs. And so uh, any, any effort that can be made to incentivize that, that cycle of recycling oyster shells is what we're all about. And so there's an element where the product itself does it sort of intuitively if somebody's using pre-shucked oysters. But then what we do, and really with Beth's help, Beth has been a godsend. She's been an angel for us to understand how best to reach out to all of the different um, recycling initiatives, these different nonprofits around the country who actually do oyster shell recycling. So say going to a restaurant where they, where they serve fresh raw oysters on the half shell and transporting those shells to a place where they can be cured and recycled. Uh, that's what Beth has helped us with immensely in figuring out how to reach out to them. And we've, we've created coupon codes uh, for each of these nonprofits. And so if somebody can make an order on our website, they can save 15% and then we donate a portion uh, of uh, other profit 
to that specific charity, to that nonprofit. And so that's kind of what the Golf Guardian Award um, recognized was that, you know, sort of effort that we've made to connect consumers, people who love oysters, they love seafood with folks that are working really hard uh, to help the, the actual, uh, you know, conservation effort, the, the nonprofits in that space. So what's next for the oyster bed, man? <laughs> I mean, well, it seems um, like you're taking over the world, man. You're, you're helping rebuild the coastal environment. You know, you're, you're, you're feeding everybody's belly. You're, you're doing it big, man. So what's next? Yeah, I mean, you got the well, flag. You're you know, running for president. What's going to happen, guy? <laughs> no. Well, I'll tell you, we had a couple things. We, we did create the steak bed, okay? And I, and I have to say, I'm, I'm kind of spoiled now. Look, Gardner, I, I have to admit, I didn't really know a lot about steak until we had a chef call us, Brody Olive, good friend of ours uh, in Alabama. He called us and he said, look, I've been using your oyster bed in a restaurant, uh, Voyagers down in Perdido uh, Beach Resort. He, he's like, look, I've been using your, your oyster bed and I want you to make an indestructible steak plate out of the same metal. And so I asked him like, well, why? And he's like, well, you know, like when you go to Ruth's Chris or a high-end steakhouse and you get a steak and it's on you know, the plate and it's, it's 500 degrees and it's sizzling. I'm like, no, actually, <laughs> no, I don't know. Because like, it's kind of expensive. I don't usually eat at Ruth's Chris. I'm nothing against it. I mean, you do the research into her, her restaurant, incredible entrepreneur, the lady, you know, so I have had such a, an education and respect for the steak industry and, and Ruth's Chris in particular. But he taught me, he said, look, you know, it makes a difference. That steak has to rest. And while it's resting, if you put it on a cold plate, you bring it to the consumer, uh, it's going to be cold, right? So that's what Ruth's Chris pioneered. But then he explained, you know, part of the reason why some of the steakhouses, the steaks are so expensive is, you know, he was, was getting only eight or 10 uses out of a plate uh, before it would crack because of the thermal shock. So that's how the steak bed was born. Uh, so we, we created the steak bed. Then we had another chef uh, reach out to us, um, the, the Vilku family with uh, Saffron Nola in New Orleans. Well, I don't know, Beth, what was it? Uh, it was, I think 2000, it was, yeah. was it 2018? 2018 or 2017? Yeah. They, they were voted the number one restaurant uh, in New Orleans, and their number one dish was the, their oysters on the oyster bed. Well, at the time, the only oyster beds we had were like our big ones, right? And so then he was nominated. The, guy, the, the restaurant was nominated for James Beard Award, and then they were invited last year to the James Beard house during Mardi Gras to go cook for a whole bunch of folks in New York City. So he calls us up in December, uh, Ashwin, and uh, hey, man, listen, I need you guys to create like a little bitty oyster bed, uh, just, you know, that'll serve just three oysters. Can, can you do it by Mardi Gras? I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, that's going to be tough, right? And then he explained why. I mean, the James Beard House, right? And so that's kind of how the Trinity was born, right? And so Trinity being, you know, just three little oysters and a little spot for the fluid, it's got a lot more natural sort of look than the other ones. Uh, and just because of really the first part of the why of our company, we, uh, we decided to call it the Trinity and put three little crosses on the back. And, and that, that part of the why uh, is, is, um, is really what we're going to do uh, tonight here in about an hour. Um, the, the seventh of, of the seven children in our family is, is headed off to seminary uh, to probably to be a priest. And we always said that the number one why uh, of our company would be to bring families together uh, around the table and closer to God. And so that's where we just kind of figure, well, if we have an opportunity, uh, you know, Ashton wanted three, 
three uh, oysters. We figured call it Trinity and, and give it give us one more reason to talk about that uh, dimension of, of the why of the company. Uh, and the last one that we, we that we recently came up with uh, is a seasoning called Pyrans. And uh, Pyrans, as if you watch the video on our website, is is the name that we give the Godfather. Uh, it's a French word. And so um, you will see a lot of imagery in the label uh, of Pyrans that reflects uh, that that you know first part of the why and um and i gotta tell you uh, this stuff is is just it never ceases to amaze me i can't take any credit my brother's the one that came up with it but uh gardner if you hadn't tried it yet we, we got to get that for you so oh, no man i tried it for sure look i'm gonna tell you a little short story man um my wife doesn't really eat my cooking but i'm a great cook i promise um but she she uh i put some of those on with the oyster bed and use the seasoning and butter man and a little beer man and i'm telling you she's yeah. like oh that's good i like that <laughs> I, now i've seen that i've seen it so many times where people uh just this past um couple weeks ago thank goodness beth beth was my savior we took a couple weeks of training with the marines and and located not far from where beth's at she hooked us up she went and got us 300 oysters right and so we're shucking them. And they got a couple guys out there to, like, they ended up shucking them just fine. But they didn't like the way they, that, they, that they tasted raw. We put that pyrans on there and cooked them up, and it was, it was game over. They were, they were eating them all afternoon. So it, it does. It changes you. So, um, but I, I'm sorry. You, you had asked the question, what's next? Um, traditionally on uh, October 10th, which mm -hmm. is our – anniversary of our launch which is a special day for for uh for beth as well she can tell you about that um traditionally we launch something new every year if we can and so we are working at something right now it's going to be tough it's going to be tight to get it done by then but we've had a lot of people ask for a cookbook and so um i don't know if we can if we can do it we're going to certainly try uh to, to make it available um by october 10th if not hopefully by christmas but to have just a coffee table sized, just uh, gorgeous, not just a cookbook, but something that tells the whole story. It tells the why. The third part of our why is to cultivate creative cooking. And so we hope to have a book that will showcase not just our recipes, but the things that we've seen people show us all around uh, from the World Food Championships to what Beth finds on social media and shares uh, to, to have people put that on their coffee table and, and, and inspire them to cultivate creative cooking. There it is. Beautiful. That's what we hope. Beth, yes. you got anything? Well, I'm just saying, you know, the Waller family makes it easy because they have an amazing <laughs> bunch of cooks and, you know, photographers. I mean, it just, it makes it super easy and I'm always hungry. That's for sure. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, we are blessed. I, I, I should credit uh, my sister, Janae. She's our photographer and uh, graphic designer. She is a professional at that. If anybody needs a graphic design professional, let us know. Um, her husband, Colby, uh, is an incredible cook and photographer. You should see some of the, the sushi and Asian recipes he has. Uh, our other brother, Seth, actually was the, the chef that ran a, uh, a a business, a, a, um, a restaurant that they, that they ran together. So it's just something that, that, uh, we're, we're blessed at all surrounding our whole family from our dad and mom down to our siblings. We have, uh, we just have a support network and a team that so far has, uh, has equipped us to, to do 
things that we otherwise just couldn't do on our own. So, and that's beautiful. Got to make it a family affair. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's our goal. Well, I hope you guys are, uh, did you, Beth, did you have anything? I don't want to cut you off. No, I mean, I feel like I, I, I don't even have a follow-up to any of that stuff. I, mean, <laughs> I just feel like, you know, the oyster is like this great uniter of people, you know, and I just love, you know, helping the oyster bed. I love helping the oyster South community and just seeing, you know, I mean, like oyster ninja, everybody kind of coming together over this one creature. I mean, it's just fantastic. You know, it's one of those great unifying things. And that's, that's the positivity that I think everybody needs to focus on. So, you know, it's great. Absolutely. I call it oyster lands, you know, that's what it is. We're all in it together. <laughs> Beth, I will ask you, um, just in case you guys have not found all the oyster uh, farmers out there or people in the industry, how can they join Oyster South? Because, you know, of course it's a great organization. And uh, of course I'm going to put the website in the link but you know, what, what do they do? Thank you. Yeah. And I just think it's so cool. And we're just so grateful for your support and for the oyster bed support. Y'all have just been, you know, we couldn't do it without you. Um, but for anybody who's interested in learning about, you know, more about us and, you know, more importantly, our farmers and our chefs and everyone just go to oystersouth.com and it's all right on there. And there's also a link to join or to donate as well. Boom. And uh, Tommy, where can we get the uh, oyster bed from? Yeah, theoysterbed.com. Yeah, theoysterbed.com. If you uh, if you want to see kind of the whole story, just scroll about halfway down. Uh, there's three videos that you can click through. Be careful uh, that you're not uh, too hungry when you do that, because <laughs> it will make you hungry. And uh, and then otherwise, you can find us thankfully on social media. Uh, thank Beth actually for that. Uh, that you can find us on social media, um, on uh, on Facebook and Instagram, and so. Um, and Twitter. She, and Twitter. <laughs> so don't and Twitter. Yeah, yeah, right. That's right. In fact, I uh, I appreciate Gardner. You 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 reached out to us a number of times uh, on Twitter, and and that's um that's most I'm I'm grateful for that. Hey man, I'm just doing me, man. I got to connect with people who I think are uh, important and influential in the community, and you guys are doing it for sure. I'm trying. We're trying. I'm trying. Just appreciate all that you do too. Thank you again. For sure, for sure. All right. Until the next time, good people. I still haven't found a closing, so uh, y'all be safe. All right. We appreciate it, Garden. Thanks a lot. Again, thank you for your service too. One day I look forward to maybe we can share some oysters and beer and, and some stories as well. Sounds good, man. Sounds good. Thank you both for your right. service. Thank you. Thank you, Beth. All right, okay, y'all. We'll talk to you later. Eat oysters. 